the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Just like a Roman general in Revelation 19, Jesus is pictured leading the armies of heaven into battle when he returns at the second coming. He is not coming in weakness. He's coming in power. He's coming to deliver God's people at the end of the age, the darkest day in human history. That is Pastor Michael Oxentenko. This is Reaching Your Heart. Today's message is entitled, The Voice of Thunder and the Seven Seals. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast. I'll have information on how you can attend the worship service in person if you would like. You can also attend anytime online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentenko with today's Reaching Your Heart entitled The Voice of Thunder and the Seven Seals. You know, the highly decorated general Alfred M. Gray once wrote, I go where the sound of thunder is. You know, thunder is the sound of war. And when the Lamb opened the scroll with seven seals, the first living creature said, Come with the sound of thunder. A sound of thunder presupposes the presence of a storm. History is stormy weather, but in the midst of the storm, there's a sound of thunder that says, come, come, come. In obedience to the heavenly general, the rider appears on a white horse. Take your Bibles, open them with me to Revelation 6, verse 1. Now I saw when the angel opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say as with a voice of thunder, come. I mean, that is the most profound word that you can hear in the book of Revelation. It is not the sound of heaven's angels saying, stay away from God. It's not the sound of fear saying, withdraw. It is the invitation in the midst of the storm of history that says, come. And I saw and behold a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went on conquering and to conquer. The first seal is the story of a victorious rider who defeats his enemies. It is the picture of a rider who rides and leads his forces like a Roman general on a white horse into battle, conquering for the cause of truth. This first seal draws attention to a famous passage in the Psalms that describes the victory of Israel's king. So this picture is not just here. This picture is a picture that builds upon the prophetic truth of the past. In fact, in Psalms 45.3, which is the basis of this image, we have a prophecy understood by the ancient Jewish people that pointed forward to the Messiah. So turn with me to Psalms 45, verse 3. Gird your sword upon your thigh, O mighty one, your glory and majesty. In your majesty ride forth victoriously for the cause of truth and to defend the right. Let your right hand teach you dread deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. I mean, this is a picture of the coming Messiah. And when the Jewish people, God's people in ancient times, sang this song, they were looking for the Messiah to appear and to ride forth with victory to lead his people into the future. And so we see that picture in the first seal. The rider here is sitting on a white horse, and there is a crown on his head. Now, an almost identical picture is found in Revelation 19, 11, and 12. So take your Bibles, turn a little bit further into the book of Revelation to verse 11. Let's pick it up. 
Then I saw heaven open. Now the context here is the second coming of Jesus Christ. The end of the age. We know in Revelation 1-7, the Bible says, Behold, He is coming with clouds, and every eye will see Him, and those that pierced Him, and all the nations of the earth will tremble and fear because of Him. We, we find right here in verse 11, that picture unfolding after the great judgments of the seven plagues. It says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, he who sat upon it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. You know, just like a Roman general in Revelation 19, Jesus is pictured leading the armies of heaven into battle when he returns at the second coming. He is not coming in weakness. He's coming in power. He's coming to deliver God's people at the end of the age, the darkest day in human history. In Revelation 19, here he is riding a white horse. It looks a lot like the picture we saw in the first seal, like the messianic king of Psalms 45.4. He rides and he leads forth and he goes to conquer in the name of truth and to bring justice to the land. Like the rider in the first seal, Jesus here has a crown on his head. But there is a difference that we should draw our focus upon. In Revelation 19.12, the rider has many diadems. That is not the picture we see in the first seal. The word translated diadem in the Greek, it comes from a, a word that means a kingly crown. And so when he comes in the clouds of glory at the end of time, he is coming as king of kings and lord of lords. But that is not the image we see at the beginning of the seals. In contrast, the rider in the first seal has a crown that is a wreath of victory. The Greek word translated crown in the first seal is the Greek word stephanos. We get our word Stephen from it. The first Christian martyr had a name associated with the word for wreath of victory. A stephanos is the kind of crown that an athlete would win when he won in the Olympic Games. It's the kind of crown that we would naturally give Michael Phelps, I guess, for those 20 glorious medals. The news is he's the greatest Olympian of all time. Is that what they're saying? In ancient times, you would have given a champion, a stephanos, a wreath of victory. And that's the kind of crown we see on the head of the rider with the, the white horse. Before the lamb wears a diadem at the end of time, here we see Jesus, symbolic as the general who leads the Christian church in the future with a wreath of victory on his head. That means Christ is the champion of the world. He is the champion of character. He has overcome in such a way that he can lead his people forward. Now we know that Christ told the church of Laodicea to the one who conquers, I will grant them to sit with me on my throne as I myself overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus has a right to a wreath of victory at the beginning of the Christian era. In the book of Revelation, the Lamb is the one who has conquered. So I ask you the question, is the Lamb the one who conquers in your life? Is the Lamb the one who has the authority to defeat evil when you have to face it down in your everyday walk with God? Friend, the one who is on that horse, who has the wreath of victory, has a right to lead your life forward in victory. Revelation 3.21. He who conquers, Christ is speaking, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I myself conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. I mean, Christ's desire for your life is not some passive will that has no glorious outcome. Christ's desire for your life, friend, is a victorious tale that leads to the throne of God where you sit down at the right hand of God and you share the victory with Jesus. Revelation 5, verse 5, Then one of the elders said to me, Weep not. Lo, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. 
Now, a number of years ago, my father-in-law, who's full of wisdom, knew I was struggling with something pretty intense. In fact, it was the struggle for the church building project. I remember the first time we went to park and planning, and they turned us down. And you remember that, that council person went in the back and manipulated the outcome, and it really threw us into a very expensive struggle. As I called my father-in-law on the phone, coming back from that park and planning meeting, my voice was cracking. I was at the point of tears, and I don't like crying. And he did what exactly he should have done. You know, he was trying to tell me, well, now's not the time to cry. You should not have tears. He says, in the natural order, those who are weak are crushed. And if you surrender to an attitude of weakness, you'll be overtaken. He was saying to me, Mike, God is calling you to victory in Jesus' name. You cannot face a foe with fear. You must move forward in faith. And he said, God's desire for you is a future and a hope. And what he was saying is, straighten up, young man. Remember your calling. Remember that Jesus Christ is the head of the Christian church. And move forward through the storm. Now, I've never forgotten that counsel. It has shaped my life ever since. We are not called to follow a loser in life. Did you hear me? Christ is not someone who somehow gets through and he has all these wounds and he can't do anything for you. Friend, the one who overcame evil in the past is the one who overcomes evil in your life. The one who rose from the dead is the one who has power to give you life and life. He went through more than you can ever go through. And friend, the outcome is certain in Jesus. You'll make it because Christ is not a loser. In Revelation 6, 1, the Lamb breaks the seal and opens the scroll and a glorious, victorious rider comes forth to lead the church into the future. In the context, the white rider and the first seal is Jesus Christ himself who led the early church in the first two centuries to spiritual and evangelistic victory. The white horse represents the purity of the apostolic church under the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The bow here is a symbol of victory in the covenant of grace the apostles and believers in the early church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, they didn't go into the world with this idea they couldn't bring Christ to a dark world. They went forward defeating spiritual strongholds in the power of the apostolic gospel. So the first seal represents the victory of the early church as it evangelized the world under the leadership of Jesus and because of his personal victory at the cross of Calvary. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to move to the second seal without saying, thank you, Lord Jesus, for a victory at the cross of Calvary. Thank you for the apostolic gospel. And thank you for your leadership as the rider on the white horse. Now, the second seal describes the end of what we call the Pax Romana. Well, some people say, Pastor Mike, what's the Pax Romana? The Pax Romana is a term first coined by Edward Gibbon in chapter 2 of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. It means the Roman peace. When Jesus was born, he was born at a time when the world was at peace because Rome had conquered all its enemies. Augustus Caesar had defeated the last serious threat to Roman power in the great sea battle of Actium in B.C. 31. And in one year, he shut down the Egyptian empire. And he inaugurated a peace that lasted over 200 years. The Pax Romana made it possible to carry the gospel on Roman roads as far north as Great Britain to the borders of Russia to Africa as far as India. In the sixth seal, the Roman peace has come to an end. Look at verses 3 and 4 of Revelation 6. When he opened the sixth seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that men should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. 
The first horse and the first seal was white, symbolizing the purity of the early church as Jesus himself, its leader, led it forth into victory. The horse and the second seal is red, and this symbolizes the shedding of blood through war. The Roman peace ended with the reign of the five good emperors, Nerva, Trajan, Hadrian, Marcus Antonius, and Marcus Aurelius, followed by the evil Commodus and the destabilization of the Roman Empire. In time, the barbarians swept across the Roman frontier to Rome itself. The once proud city of Rome was humbled by invasion, by poverty and distress. And finally, Rome built a wall to protect itself from the barbarians. It changed its posture from an offensive force to a defensive posture. In time, Rome itself was overcome by war, decline, and chaos. The Bible says clearly the writer was permitted to take peace from the earth. Jesus predicted the end of the great Pax Romana in the 3rd century, Matthew 24, 6. He said, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. Now, how many people have quoted this verse? And they've applied it to the time of the end, and they have misapplied it. This verse is saying, before the end comes, the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, must first come to an end. Then there would be an era of wars and rumors of wars. And then the cosmic signs would occur. And then Jesus comes. The apostles lived during a time of peace. They couldn't think of a time of war. It was unbelievable to see in their mind the future of a destabilized Roman Empire. But Christ predicted that this peace, the Roman peace, would be broken. And after that, after a long era of war, the end would come. In the second seal, the Roman peace comes to an end, just as Jesus predicted in Matthew 24, verse 6. So let's review. The first seal represents the victory of the early church in the first two centuries under the leadership of Jesus Christ, the conquering king. The second seal represents the end of the Pax Romana when peace was taken from the earth. Now that brings us to the third seal. The third seal describes the end of the apostolic harvest, the great era of ingathering that occurred because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the victory of apostolic teaching, the glory of God through prophetic truth that led to souls that came to Christ, soul winning. The apostasy of the early Middle Ages brought all of that to an end, and it led to spiritual famine. In Revelation 6, verse 5, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I saw, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a balance in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, but do not harm what? What does the text say? Do not harm oil and wine. Now we're going to look at all those elements here together. We'll continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. If you'd like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that here at the close of our broadcast today, so please stay tuned. You can always attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend a live service in a streaming format at that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. The horse in the first seal was white, representing the purity of the early church. The horse in the second seal was red, symbolizing the shedding of blood and the advent of war, because the Pax Romana had come to an end, the Roman peace. Now the horse in the third seal is black, representing evil and darkness, compromise, spiritual darkness. The rider holds a balance in his hand, which is the symbol of trade. 
In ancient Israel, barley and wheat were closely associated with the spring feasts of the Passover and Pentecost, and they were the objects of trade. Now, what we had, we had two basic harvests in ancient Israel. You had barley and wheat in the spring. You had the summer in which there was no rain, followed by the fruit harvest in the fall, and the olive harvest came in the winter when they produced olive oil. So this is the sequence here. So if you're looking at barley and wheat, you're not looking to the fall, the latter part of the year. You're looking to the spring. Now, we know that these feasts are prophetic in the Bible. Christ died at what feast? You know. Remember John 13, when the Passover had come, knowing that his time had come to depart out of the world? Christ died at Passover, which would have been in the spring. And we know the fall festivals point forward to the second coming of Christ. And the winter is the millennium after the coming of Christ, the winter of the world in which there is no harvest except olive oil. And so in ancient Israel, barley and wheat were closely associated with the spring feasts of Passover and Pentecost, and they were the objects of trade. Passover fell at the time of the barley harvest, and Pentecost fell at the time of the wheat harvest. At both of these spring feasts, there was a celebration of the first fruits of the harvest. Turn with me to Leviticus 23, verse 5, and let's kind of just look at a few of the verses there, 5, 10, and 11. And these verses describe the significance of this. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, in the evening is the Lord's Passover. That would be in the spring. And say to the people of Israel, when you come to the land which I give you and you reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. Now that would have been the first fruits of the barley harvest. Now look at verse 11. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord that you may find acceptance on the day or the morrow after the Sabbath the priest shall wave it. Now when Jesus died... He died at Passover, which is Good Friday. The Sabbath followed it. It was the Holy Sabbath day as well as the first day of unleavened bread, which was itself a Sabbath, followed by the morrow after the Sabbath, which was Sunday morning. So the wave sheath is really associated with the events that transpired with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. On Sunday morning after the cross, the day after the Sabbath, when the priest was waving the first fruits of the barley harvest in the temple... Christ stood at the empty tomb. Mary was there. She was weeping for the Christ of the empty crypt, wanting to find him and bring him back. And Christ spoke to her and she said, Rabboni, she recognized him. And then he said something to her which makes sense in this context. John 20, 17, Jesus said to her, Do not keep on holding me, as it says in the Greek language, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. And we know on that day, as the priest was presenting the first fruits in the temple, Christ appeared in heaven as the first fruits of the grave before God the Father. He was gone all day Sunday as the first fruits. In 1 Corinthians 15, 20, Paul clearly taught that Jesus is the first fruits, that he himself and others represent this. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. We know in Matthew 27 that when he was raised from the dead, there was a handful of believers who were raised from the dead to never die again at his resurrection on Sunday morning. So in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So the barley harvest here is symbolic of the first fruits of Jesus' victory at the cross of Calvary and in the resurrection. So when you eat barley in your soup, you had better remember that it represents the cross of Christ, the resurrection the first fruits, the victory over death. Now, the wheat harvest was associated with the Feast of Pentecost that came 
50 days after the offering of the wave sheep on Sunday morning. Turn with me again, Leviticus 23, verse 15. We'll read down to 17. And you shall count from the morrow after the Sabbath, which means that Sunday morning when Christ rose from the dead, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, six full weeks shall they be, 49 days, counting 50 days to the morrow, after the seventh Sabbath. That's where we get the Feast of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Then you shall present a cereal offering of new grain to the Lord. And so this feast represented new grain, new converts, those who would come in. And look at verse 17. You shall bring them from your dwellings two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two-tenths of an ephah, and they shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven as first fruits of the Lord. Now why the two loaves? The number two in the Bible is symbolic of two witnesses. The word of God is symbolized in this way, two witnesses. So the future would occur 50 days later, a great ingathering of new grain, wheat. And we find the two loaves symbolizing the word of God, interactive with leaven as a symbol of the Holy Spirit that would bring a first fruit harvest to God. In Acts chapter 2, at the time of the wheat harvest, the Holy Spirit was poured out at the Feast of Pentecost, and there was a harvest of 3,000 souls won to Jesus Christ. Acts 2.38, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So those who received his word were baptized. Remember the two loaves represents the word. Those who received his word were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's the wheat harvest. So when we talk about wheat, we're talking about Holy Spirit harvest based on the Word of God that came as a fulfillment of Bible prophecy in the Old Testament. So barley and wheat together point forward to the apostolic harvest that was the result of Jesus' victory at the cross of Calvary. So the barley harvest symbolizes the gospel harvest of the cross and the resurrection, the first fruits that came to life. And the wheat harvest symbolizes the gospel harvest of the Holy Spirit at the time of the Feast of Pentecost when the first gospel sermon, when the Word of God brought new grain into the church of Jesus Christ. So the harvest of barley and wheat together represent the wealth of the early church of the first three to four hundred years that was more important to them than silver or gold. The wealth of God's Word, the truth of God's living and abiding Spirit. When Peter healed the lame man at the temple, he used heaven's currency of barley and wheat, and he invested it all in a lame man so he could walk. Acts 3, 6, Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I mean, the name of Christ has authority, friend, to reach out and raise you from your paralysis bed and to make you walk in a new life for God. Barley and wheat meant a lot. And the third seal, barley and wheat are almost gone because the Bible truth has almost been sacrificed on the altar of sacrifice. Holy Spirit harvest diminishes after the first 300 years because theologians and philosophers arose who believed that they were smarter than the Word of God. And so we see the end of the apostolic age predicted here in the book of Revelation. The voice in the midst of the four living creatures is God's voice that comes from the throne itself announcing the departure of the apostolic gospel in large quantity and the apostolic harvest that Jesus had fought for and died for to make happen. Revelation 6 verse 6, and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for denarius 
and three quarts of barley for a denarius, but do not harm oil and wine. Now, a denarius was a small silver coin that was a denomination of ten asses. It was struck from about 211 B.C. to about 270 A.D. A denarius was the daily pay given to a Roman soldier. A quart of wheat or three quarts of barley for a denarius was barely enough to survive on, much less feed a family with. That means in the third seal, the gospel harvests of barley and wheat of Passover and Pentecost are almost gone. People are giving a lot to get a little, and before long, famine will come. The third seal represents the beginning of spiritual famine in the church, where the cross of Jesus Christ, the truth of the resurrection, of justification by faith in Christ alone, the presence of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, the living Word in the church, is diminishing. Even though barley and wheat are hard to acquire, oil and wine are not damaged by the famine that is coming here described. So Revelation 6.6 6 says very clearly, but do not harm oil and wine. Now in the harvest cycle of ancient Israel, most of the grapes were harvested before the great feast of tabernacles. That would have meant that it was focused on the fall harvest, not the spring. The feast of tabernacles, as I said, was the fall festival that celebrated the end of the 40 years in the wilderness and the entering of the promised land. It was the big party where all the goodies, all the sweet things were harvested. And Israel came for eight days to glorify God and to wave palm branches in their hands and to eat all these delectable fruits. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for the first portion of the Voice of Thunder and the Seven Seals. Today's Reaching Your Heart. Join us again next week when we conclude this message. We would really love for you to be a part of our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org slash video. Reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website. Reachinghearts.org. Thanks for listening, and we do pray that God is reaching your heart. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.